Welcome back to the Level Up Grappling Podcast. This is Coach Brian uh, from PCI Jiu-Jitsu and Level Up Grappling. And before we get things started, I have a little announcement to make. Quite bittersweet, uh, but, you know, we are ones to adapt. So Ed is going to be on hiatus for a bit. So he's got some personal stuff he's got to take care of and some family things and uh, not my place to get into it, <clears throat> but uh, we will not be seeing Ed for a while and he'll let us know when he's ready to come back. So first thing I want to do is give a shout out to our lovely Ed and everything that he's helped us with in terms of developing the Level of Grappling podcast and where we've gone and what we've been able to do so far, his incredible questions and his interviewing and his all-around jovial personality, which everyone has loved so much and adored. And with that, I wanted to let you know we are continuing with the Level Up Grappling podcast. I will be having different guests on. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up, I promise you. And kind of like when Johnny Carson would go on vacation, he had his Jay Leno. So our Jay Leno is another one of uh, our PCI students, Tony. So Tony, say hello. Hello. So Tony, Tony's going to be joining us, and we've got a lot to cover. We've got a lot to discuss, and I figured the best way to kind of kick this off is, Tony, why don't you give us a little bit of a background in terms of your grappling history, your martial arts history from, you know, your youth going forward, and, you know, how you ended up finding PCI. Sure. Happy happy to get into all this uh... First, I'd, I'd like to also uh, say, give a shout out to Ed. Uh, absolute pleasure to work with, and I hope to see you out here soon again. Um, as for my background, uh, gosh, uh, went all the way back to seventh grade where we had PE class and uh, we had a wrestling uh, session uh, that, uh, that we did for a couple of months. And I just seemed like I was naturally good at it. Uh, didn't have the same feeling when I tried basketball or football or, or even soccer. Uh, but wrestling, just something about that resonated with me. I was able to, just, even as a kid, put my put my opponent in a, in a collar tie and, and clamp down. And I just, I felt good at it. So uh, I tried football as a freshman, but uh, at five foot two and 119 pounds, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be playing anytime soon. And then, you know, out there on the wrestling mats, it just felt great. Um, coach looked at me and said, you are locked in for four years. And, um, you know, I just, I went, uh, went from there. Um, I can't say that, you know, I had any outstanding accomplishments. I know that a lot of your guests and a lot of uh, the people we see out uh, in the media uh, enjoy uh, fantastic success. I think I was, uh, I think I had potential, but I was an average wrestler. Um, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, but again, as a freshman, not as a freshman, but in high school, I would say that I didn't really intellectually push any of the technique. I relied on uh, my own natural abilities and, uh, that only got me so far. Um, but it, you know, I, again, I enjoyed some success at it in high school. After I graduated, I uh, went to Saddleback college and they did not have a wrestling program. So I did the next best thing. I took a martial arts class. It was 
uh, Sansu. It was a, a Southern Chinese style that was a lot like, probably like an Asian version of Krav Maga. Um, stuff you can't practice, eye pokes, things of that <laughs> nature, um, neck breaking. Um, and then I went to San Diego State and found their martial arts class, which was a Tong Sudo, which uh, uh, again, uh, that was a hard style, uh, Korean style of martial arts taught by an extremely inspirational man, uh, Master Francis. Um, wow, just, I, I didn't resonate with me with the actual art. Uh, like Sansu, uh, I got the feeling I would need to, I, I need to practice it for many years before I could learn to defend myself with those things. But uh, inspirational nonetheless, uh, the master, Master Francis was, he taught you how to process everyday life. Um, I, I still carry him around with me years later. But then uh, over the water fountain, uh, like your last guest, I, I saw a sign for a wrestling club at San Diego State. And so I, uh, I began going to that and it turned out it was a bunch of uh, JC level wrestlers. Uh, we then found some funding uh, and uh, when I left, we were in NC2A competing uh, uh, sport wow. uh, with San Diego State. Now, I did not compete. Uh, I was I always chose the club uh, route for me because I was firmly entrenched in my accounting studies. And, um, you know, I, I could only devote so much time to it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, hanging around the wrestling room there, I, I started trying to be the same, you know, impose my will on, on my opponents with just raw talent. And that did not get me far enough. Uh, the other kids in class were, some of them were NC2A caliber and, and those guys, uh, I had to re reposition myself. I, did, I had to re-strategize if I was going to be successful against those guys. They were younger, they were in better shape, they were stronger. Uh, so I didn't have any of the natural advantages. So I, I had to get better strategy. And, and you know, I did improve my technique. I, I think I, I would call myself a junior college level wrestler skill-wise. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's amazing, but it's, 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 you know, it's something anyway. So after I graduated, uh, I, I wandered away from grappling, uh, found, uh, gosh, I tried Shaolin Kung Fu. And again, it just seemed like I'd have to do that for many years before I could defend myself with it. And then I found an art, uh, called Shingi. There were two arts, uh, Shingi and Bagua. These are soft style, uh, martial arts. Years later, I found out the, uh, the professor was actually very skilled in Kempo, but he wanted to get new students. So he, he switched his style over to, to the Chinese martial arts. And for the first time ever, I felt like their style resonated with me. I could immediately defend myself with, with the Xing Yi is what I was specializing what, in. What was it about that um, style that resonated with you? I'm curious. Uh, Interesting. Uh, it just, I felt good in the pocket, just like in wrestling. When I throw a collar tie on my opponent, uh, just the way they would stand and trade, uh, it just felt comfortable for me. Uh, just uh, Tong Sudo, it felt like these, uh, I was doing these very exaggerated movements that uh, really uh, couldn't be coordinated in, in, in a way that could defend, I could defend myself. Uh, the Sansu, you'd, uh, there were so many small circular movements in that. And it would just take years and years before you caught the guy's wrist at exactly the right angle. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's not effective. Uh, the instructor worked in, in the prison system. And so I guess he got to apply his martial art every day at work. 
but I, I couldn't, it didn't resonate with me. But the Xingyi, uh, I could go in and immediately I could trade with, uh, with the most advanced students in the class and, um, and hold my own, more than hold my own. So uh, then, uh, you know, in the early 90s, uh, I found Joe Moriera, who is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu champion, and traded, uh, trained with him for a couple of years. And then, you know, because I have a, a work-intensive career in finance, I, I, I'd go through periods of time where I just didn't have time to do anything. Um, eventually found Chris Brennan, next generation in Orange County. And then through him found uh, Mike Guyman, the Joker, and what a great guy. Uh, and I, I've sort of followed him every few years. I'd look him up and I'd, I'd go back onto the mat, get beat up. And usually you know, people, they handle stress in different ways. And you know, during the low points, we all have highs and low points in our lives. And during my absolute low points, I always knew I could find uh, a jiu-jitsu place. And no matter what shape I was in, I could go there and just, just get pounded and it it was just it was very cathartic oh yeah um so then in july uh i decided to try this again and uh i i have a job in san diego i'm there for most of the week and i i found a, i had a choice i was stuck in san diego monday nights and tuesday nights and it, i could either go to the bar or um i did see a little jujitsu place so i went in and super nice uh, guys. And, you know, at, at 56 years old, uh, they were very committed to, to not hurting me, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, very injury conscience, conscious, and, and they gave me a lot of extra attention, um, very positive experience. Um, but, uh, you know, being only down there, I really can only get one workout a week down there in San Diego. And as anyone in the graphic arts knows, uh, that will promise uh, that type of uh, training regimen will promise that you are sore every single week. Mm -hmm. You will lose every single week and you'll be overly winded every single week. It's, it's not a sustainable practice to just go once a week. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, ironically, I was at the chiropractor uh, working through an injury and my chiropractor said, Hey, I've got a great guy. His name's Brian and uh, good, good dude. And that was about as descriptive as he got uh, he was keenly aware that of my age and he'd say, you know, be careful with the jujitsu. Uh, <laughs> tell him to stay off your neck. And, it, and then finally he said, I got a guy who is sensitized to these things yeah. and can help. Uh, and so he recommended you. And, um, you know, I've been coming to you uh, ever since. Yeah. And it's been fun. I've Quite, loved having you. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's been a very, very interesting experience. Uh, and as you know, in listening to your podcast, uh, I, I've uh, bounced many of your ideas off off of my thinking and um, a very interesting contrast to jujitsu. Mm. In, in many ways, uh, the hardest thing about jujitsu for me as a wrestler is when I step out on the mat, their biggest ask is don't be a wrestler. Right. And you know, and, and as much as I enjoy the sport, as much as I, you know, I do have a lot of very good things to say about my program down South and, and the sport, uh, they're basically asking me to abandon, uh, years and years and years of muscle memory. Yeah. And, 
one of the first things you said to me after after rolling is you said we're going to refine what you bring here you're going to develop the wrestling and so uh, i don't know if there are ex wrestlers listening to this podcast but uh, maybe what i'm saying could resonate with you um, you want to go to a place where you can build off of your skills and not abandon them right. and and that's been just very enjoyable i get i get a lot very of, enjoyable yeah, I, I get so i get a lot of ex-wrestlers that come to me for privates and want to train stuff like that. And a lot of times what they say is I feel like my wrestling's getting worse since I've been doing jujitsu and I want to get my wrestling back. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, let me just teach you how to just make small adjustments to your wrestling so you can dominate the jujitsu guys and keep your wrestling. Because to me, wrestling is the greatest foundation. You know, and that's why, you know, our foundation at PCI is catch wrestling. And the jujitsu that we do is that Chris Howder combat base um, foundational jujitsu, which is get off your back and get in the top position and fight, treat everything like a fight. So to me, it was very complimentary. And it's funny, I don't know if Tim ever told you this, our chiropractor, you know, he was a wrestler in college, in high school. Mm -hmm. And he used to do privates with me. And so okay. before I had PCI, I was, uh, I, the academy will remain nameless, but I was training at a friend's school. I'd go train at different places. And one of the places I was training was a, a place in Orange County. I'd come in probably like once or twice a week to train. And that's how I met Tim. I met Tim there. And I saw, he said to me, he's just like, your style is so much different than what they're teaching me here. And I'm really getting frustrated because it's not connecting. I'm like, well, Start training with me on the side. And then let's see how you do. And here's the funny thing. After, I'd say, maybe three weeks of training with me privately, he was destroying the jiu-jitsu guys at the other school to the point where they were getting upset. And when I say destroying, I'm not talking about other white belts. I'm talking about he was just laying out purple belts and brown belts where they were getting frustrated. Wow. What they didn't know what happened. What'd you do? What where you what happened? How did you get this? Because he was shut literally shutting everything down. <clears throat> and then he had gotten a really at some point after a few months, he was just he was mopping the floor with everybody. And right before I opened PCI, he had gotten even bigger, right? He moved into a new space and you know, his 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 practice literally doubled because to me he's the best chiropractor. So shout out to Tim Lanier, Lanier Chiropractic in Laguna Hills. If anybody wants the best chiropractic care, he does not pay me for this. He is not a sponsor, but uh, the dude saved my life. So I owe him a lot. I'm not in a wheelchair because of Tim. Um, but he uh, he had ended up, what happening is, is he got like a really weird stubborn case of ringworm on his head, on his forehead, and it wouldn't go away. <laughs> And then, so he stopped training. So I, since then, I've still been trying to get him on, on the mat, back on the mat. Cause the guy's very, very talented and, uh, he's amazing. So I'm, I'm trying to get him back in and maybe you can help me nudge him in the right direction. So I, I'm curious. So you, I, you've been with me, what, about three months now, something like that. Yeah. I'd say that. Okay. So I'm curious. So since you train at other academies, Right. And I do mm -hmm. want to clarify, you know, all of my students are welcome to train at other academies. I, I tell them there's a couple of places I don't want to them to train. And I tell them specifically where, 
because I know it's going to make their grappling worse. Outside of that, I always say, hey, go train wherever and then just bring me back. If you see something cool, bring it back. So let's explore the techniques. Let's explore what it is and see if it's functional and efficient. So I'm curious, since you were training at the other place before you came to me and then now you've had the time with me and af- you know, after doing both, what's that experience, what's that grappling experience been like for you just doing you know, that jujitsu style, like say that sport BJJ or whatever, how was your technique then compared to what are you able to do now? Where do you see your, your growth opportunities? Where do you see your development since then, since coming to me and now training at different places? So, uh, first of all, uh, the place that I study at, uh, down South isn't, uh, guilty of what I've, often heard being uh, typical of uh, the, the McDojos, okay. if you will. Uh, it is a good academy um, it, with very sincere people. I don't have my name on my, on my key. Um, <laughs> you know, they know who I am. So I would say it's, it's, it's about as good a jujitsu instruction as you could ask for. Um, with that said, uh, I also believe, uh, and this is an interesting thought, that if you studied in jujitsu from a good school for 20 years and you did catch wrestling for 20 years, you'd probably have a very, very similar skill set. Mm. Now, where it differs is the first 19 years. <laughs> um, I, I would say that um, in catch wrestling, you could take two lessons and apply it yeah. uh, in the street that afternoon yeah. um, or even one lesson. Um, jujitsu you're you're going to be told uh you're going to have to defend off your back uh that's going to be uh, the overwhelmingly uh that's going to be what you're studying for for the first year is you're put on your back you're in a gi and you're learning how to defend yourself from your back and uh, of course on the street that doesn't have an application you're going to get your head bashed in if if you tried that so um to answer your question though uh at at my age, my biggest learning curve is my body and getting my body into the condition uh, that where I can um, use my wrestling skills like I used to. Um, So I haven't been able to use everything, um, but I I would say the immediate, the biggest and sharpest distinction I would make uh, after studying with you is, well, two things. Number one, I'm if if I'm in jujitsu, I'm trying to stand, get away from my opponent, return my opponent to the feet, mm-hmm. um, which is what my natural way is anyway. And, and through your encouragement, that's that's my object in in the jujitsu match. Um, but even on our knees, playing, I think you'd say slap. Um, you know, I'm grabbing their hands, I'm bending their hands and wrists in ways that they're not used to, um, and, and even against superior grapplers. Uh, when I'm wearing the gi, first of all, I am a fish out of the water in the gi. Um, and that's just not not my thing. And even though I'm outclassed on the mat, I am even with the superior. Uh, I was rolling with one of the black belts, and I could tie up his wrists and hands in ways that I could tell I was frustrating him. Uh, there's something about in wrestling and in catch wrestling, wrist control and when we say wrist, that's a misnomer. It's hand control uh, and my ability to to 
to crunch my opponent's hands. Uh, it, it just gives you such an advantage to, to reposition your body. Oh, yeah. I could be stuck in their guard. Uh, if I'm in the jujitsu class, I'm stuck in the guy's guard and, but they're now defensive because I've got their hands tied up and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm applying joint locks right in their guard uh, that they're now trying to think about. They're no longer offensive on me again, even though I'm vastly, uh, outskilled uh, rank wise, uh, they're now defending themselves, even though I'm in their wheel. So I'd say that would be the the difference that I could immediately see even after just a couple months. But you taught me that on day day two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, again, um, you know, it's an art that you can apply immediately. Yeah. And I'd say that's the biggest difference between uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, classic Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and and um, catch wrestling. Yeah, that, that's why that's why I always say catch wrestling is for everyone. Because even like mm-hmm. plenty of jujitsu people admit jujitsu is not for everyone. There's a right, you know, and especially the way it's taught these days. Number one, pretty much everybody teaches their game. Number two, it's very attribute based. So you have these styles when you look at the modern jujitsu and stuff. You have styles that are attribute based, and and I've said this countless number of times now. You can't watch and learn from the top one percent of the one percent and expect to do that. You know, there's guys that they go out there like this kid Mikiel Galvao, okay, incredible athlete. You know, his stuff is the guy's like flying around all over the place, really impressive. You can't expect to do that. You know, uh, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, he's talented, he's gifted, you know, he has unique attributes that it's not for the average human. Same thing with, um, I can't remember the name of the kid at the moment. Uh, when Cobrina's son was young, he used to come down to Orange County and come and train at a couple places I was training at. And I remember when Cobrina's son was a white belt, um, this kid blew my mind. When he went from white to blue, and I was like, oh, my God, this kid's special. His abilities, his attributes were so unique. I was like, this is like, this kid's like one in a million, you know? Um, And the thing is, is when we are watching these high-level professional matches, you know, I think a lot of people are deluding themselves into thinking that they have this aspiration that they're going to be like that. And I'm like, no, trust me. I don't even know how many people I've ever trained with and rolled with in my life. I have no idea. Thousands of people I've rolled with. And so when I say out of those thousands of people, I can count on one hand, the number of people where I was like, Oh my God, this person's special. And those are the people that are on the screen. Those are the people that are in these big matches and stuff like that. It's like when we had Stephen Ramos on the podcast last last time, right? Um, I watched him. I'm watching a whole tournament. I'm coaching at the tournament. And I'm watching him. I'm like going, oh, my God, this guy's special. You know, it's, it's very rare that, uh, uh, to see that. Because then you look at those who are special and then they compete against each other and you go, oh, yeah, anybody can do that. No, that's not true. It's like watching play or like the Super Bowls, right? You're watching NFL players, people that watch the National Football League or any professional sport in your country, regardless of where you live. When you're looking at the best of the best play each other on a professional level, you cannot assume that you can have 
even one one thousandth of their technique and their abilities. They're at that level for a reason, right? Because they're unique, yes. special in their attributes. There's a reason why I always say catch wrestling is for everyone. I do not teach things that are attribute based. You know, I've got I'll have a video coming out soon of my son, you know, hitting the Sakuraba double wrist lock throw. How come a nine year old can do it? I can have a 50 year old do it. I can have a 70 year old do it. Right. There's techniques like in catch wrestling that anybody of any stature, body type or ability can do. Whereas like you're saying, Tony, it's there's stuff in jujitsu that I've seen stuff. Okay. 17 steps later, I still don't know what the move is. And then even if there is a move, how does it connect to the broader spectrum of the fight for the mat? And this is something that I think most um, instructors lose. They don't have that ability to understand or even convey how things are connected. Right. Right. And I know you can attest to this. A lot of what I do in class, there's a lot of lectures. It's not just mm -hmm. training. We're not. Yes, we drill like crazy. We definitely drill more than any other school. But with those drills, doesn't matter if it's static or live, with that drilling, there's a lot of lecturing. Not because I like to hear myself talk, but I want everybody to have that deep understanding of how and why you're doing something. That's important because I want it rooted, right? Because I want you to walk away from class going, okay, I understand why I'm doing this. I understand why I need to visualize these techniques. And this is why I need to apply them, right? And this is how right. I apply. And so I want that in the mental memory so that when you build that neuromuscular connection, you have right. that repetitive where it becomes reflexive and it doesn't become uh, like a mental stutter. Like, oh my God, what do I do now? I don't ever want you in a position where you go, where do I do now? Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and I would say there were a couple of very sharp distances uh, or differences between your format and um, and ones that I've experienced in the past. Again, uh, my place down south is is a good a good place, uh, so I'm not necessarily casting aspersions on that. Uh, but I would say with yours, you're you're going to go in. We're going to work one move. We're going to work the same move all month. Uh, we're going to drill, 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 drill. And drilling is even in back in my high school days, in college days. This is the, the, that was like eating your broccoli. Uh, you didn't enjoy it. Uh, it was the homework yeah. you were putting in to get something out. Yeah. Um, and, and that is proper drilling, not just drilling for drilling sake, but proper drilling uh, is going to be the cornerstone of, uh, of any real progress. And the thing I would say in, in your class is that when we are drilling, you are watching very closely yeah. and uh, in improper form, uh, it, it isn't tolerated. Uh, <laughs> you are right there. Yeah. I mean, frankly, if you go to get, if you're going somewhere to get better, uh, then, you know, this is the place because uh, you're going to have to drill. You're going to watch the student very closely and you're going to jump on them the minute they're doing something wrong. No, not this way. No, lean into it. Mm -hmm. No, like this. And, and do it again, do it again, do it again. And, Billy Robinson. you know, those, yeah, I mean, it depends on why you are studying. Uh, why are you in the art? And, and it could be for multiple reasons. Um, uh, you know, at other jujitsu schools, not, not my current one, but, you know, you go in, 
uh, and it's a routine. You go and you stretch, do some warm ups. They try to, you know, they call them warm up, but it's really conditioning. Um, you know, you're trying not to throw off. Uh, <laughs> and then they show you some techniques, and then you get to apply what you've learned. But you're not. You're just going back to your old game. Sure. Uh, my first uh, practice with you, uh, you were showing us uh, a shoulder takedown uh, off the shoulder. And, um, and then we did the live and I, and I was, I defaulted back to my wrestling and he, he stopped the class. Okay. We're going to be working on what we just tried to learn. And, and that really resonated with me, um, because the, the workout after the, the live round after is supposed to be, uh, designed to be an application of, of you applying what you just learned. Right. And I think that a lot of people forget that uh it's not a competition they they call them a training partner for a reason and yes you're live and yes there's going to be a takeaway hey i got them got them good in this lock um you get to feel good about it but you're really applying what you learned yeah and i i the reason why i i think that that's important is that's really kind of the only way you get broad and you grow you know um i can take this back to how you know, I, I'm a musician. I've been a musician since I was a small child. And all of my best teachers, they did the exact same thing to me. They wouldn't let me default to my habit. And it was like a live jam or something like this. They would say, here are the parameters for your expression for this particular jam session or this particular live musical expression that, you, that you're participating in. And I saw how much that helped me because I had to develop that skill, that mind-body connection for that set of rules, for that that stuff. And that's why I do what I do because I don't want people just defaulting back to their natural thing. You know, the only way you're going to grow in grappling is you have to have, um, you have to have that dynamic sense of mind that you want to stretch. And the only way you're going to stretch is by first putting limits on yourself. So if I say to you, here's the only takedowns you're working on. And if I don't see it, we're stopping and you're going to do it again. Why? Because I need you to stretch, use your imagination, you know, set up an entry to get that takedown, figure out how to off balance somebody to get that takedown. Right. If you know, like, this is all I can do. I can do X, Y, Z technique. You need to figure out how to get there, right? And that's what I want. That's the, the, the mental development that I want, you know, people to have so that when you're in the training room, you, you're feeling it out and you're thinking it through. But then when you're live and I say a competition or a fight, you don't have to think about it. It's just there. It becomes reflexive. And that's really. Yes. Critical. Yeah. And that's, that's again one of the great value adds uh, of your your program. The other one, uh, again, uh, you guys didn't ask me to stop being a wrestler. Uh, instead, you're leveraging off of the skill. Oh yeah, that was a, a huge advantage. Um, the other thing, and back in wrestling, there were lots and lots and lots of moves you could learn, but there were probably uh, there are a handful of 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 moves that you need to work well. And, and that's where uh, I think the, the catch uh, wrestling is also 
you're not trying to learn 10,000 moves. No, you don't need to. You're trying to learn some concepts and yeah. fundamentals. And, you know, one of the greatest things that I've seen, uh, just, uh, just a happy moment for me, uh, ironically, was when Randy Couture fought Stephen Graham. I don't know if you remember that match. This is in the UFC. But there was this wrestler. Now, Stephen Graham, if you just look up physically imposing image, uh, this guy's picture uh, pops up. Just a giant, super muscular guy. And you're looking at Randy Couture on one end. And you're looking at Stephen Graham on the other. And said, oh, my God, uh, where, is, there, is there a hospital nearby? This is going to get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and Randy walked up, shot a double leg, got on top of him and, and beat him. It was it was almost unfair in how well Randy was able to just execute this perfect takedown, and it was just a very basic takedown. And in at least what I've seen in the first few months at your school, uh, it's a it's fundamentals, basic fundamentals, nothing super complicated, but you're going to make sure that we walk away with that skill. And there's skills that we can apply immediately uh, outside, whether it's against a jujitsu player right. or in the street. These are these have an immediate application. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's you know because to me, that's the whole point. It has to have immediate application, and it has to be fight ready. You know, I don't. I've right. never understood that whole concept of people doing, say, jujitsu and stuff like that and not considering where the strikes are coming from. Because I, I think I told you this, you know, the audience knows, I, like, I was a striker first. You know, so I'm always mm-hmm. thinking striking first. Regardless of the grappling, I'm always thinking of a position where I can put somebody in where I can just dominate them with strikes. Um, so to me, it's just like, why would you not be thinking about that? Because I'm watching... And I'm even participating in when I'm rolling with people and all this stuff. I'm like going, do they realize if they actually were doing this, if we were going, I could just punch them and they'd be knocked out in about four seconds. So, yes, you know, that's something that I, I feel like there's such a huge deficiency in the, you know, jujitsu community of not looking at it as the broad, like as that, like that broad stroke of, well, how does this work in a fight? Would it work in a fight? And um, yes, uh, you know, it's a real thing. Oh, that that makes sense. Uh, I remember back in 1990s, I was in a class, and uh, you know, the the top guy was preparing for a mixed martial arts class, a fight, and so they were out over there working on takedowns. So we, as the beginning students, weren't allowed takedowns. That was an advanced. Uh, technique, uh, you know, we were on our knees. Um, so a, again, a, as I mentioned, I think you know the other arts. Uh, well, the, here's another thing, and, and this is this is interesting. These are fun times for us. We live in a, the information age, where um, you know, and and the UFC is is the epitome of a changing art. Right. We, we watched the first ones in 93. And as you mentioned, those weren't the first mixed martial arts contests, but not. But they were the first time an American consumer uh, really had exposure to those those types of contests. And and they changed profoundly. Uh, and here we are at the information. Again, the information is all the more at our fingertips. Uh, 
And so what we're learning is that the jujitsu guys are learning the catch techniques and catch itself because, it, you know, if, if, if an art isn't growing, it's dying. And so catch is also adapting. And I've watched, uh, I've seen the way you watch in process. And even at your level, you're watching what's happening uh, in the, in the, uh, in the top competitive competitions and you're assimilating and digesting uh, in a very engineering specific way um, to make sure that catch is an art that's, that's going to remain at the forefront. Uh, it's all very fascinating to me. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that I think goes into it because I think there has to be a consideration, especially by the people, I don't want to say at the top, that's such a horrible word, but those of us with the, say the responsibility of being a black belt, right? I'll use it like that because mm -hmm. it's a, it's a responsibility of how we develop students and how we are developing people going forward. Are we leaving a legacy of this type of behavior where it's just like, I'm the best guy and nobody can beat me. Or are you leaving this legacy of this teachers, you know, gave us things that were so effective. It enabled me to beat, my teacher and everyone else, you know? And so you have to look and see, well, what are people are doing, understanding how they're doing and why they're doing. Again, a lot of what I see, I have to put it in two categories. Is it a fight category or is it just some kind of submission grappling category? Cause th th those are really, it's sometimes they could be fundamentally oppositional from each other. They can be very polarizing. And so my default is always like, if it doesn't work in a fight, don't do it. doesn't matter if it'll work in a quote IBJJF tournament or some who's number one or there's fight to win or something like that. doesn't matter if there's no strikes allowed. Does it work if somebody can hit you? Does it work if somebody has a knife? Does it work if somebody's like, got a bottle and they're whacking you over the head and you're on the ground. Do you really want to sit there in the guard? Come on. You want to wrestle out of the position, get to the top position and hold them down, pin them or run away if you have to. Uh, so I ha I have to see what people are doing, but at the same time, I still think a lot of it is not practical for fighting. You know, and so when I look at stuff where, um, and I know they have, uh, Ilya Tapuria has a fight coming. I really like this guy, Ilya Tapuria. He's in the UFC and he's fighting Volkanovsky soon for the, I think the featherweight title. Um, so it was interesting. I remember a friend of mine, this was whenever he fought Ryan Hall, my buddy says like, oh, Ryan Hall's going to smash him, blah, 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 this stuff. I'm like, I'm like, I'd be surprised if Ryan Hall finishes the fight. And just so happened that Ryan Hall, I don't think he made it a minute. You know, or maybe it was, maybe it's a little longer, but didn't go out of the first round. Why? Because Tapuria already knew how to defend the leg locks and the spinning underneath. It's not hard to defend that. And all he did was keep punching him in the head. <laughs> and at the end of that, I said to my brother, I go, dude, this doesn't work if you get punched in the head. Well, nobody's going to punch me in the head. Okay. You keep telling yourself nobody's going to punch you in the head. Don't come crying to me the day that it happens where somebody does punch you in the head. You know? 
Right. It's, it's no, I yeah, I would think what would be a cardinal mistake. Uh, first of all, I think a, again going back to when I was a kid, we always we always uh, talked about who's better, a, a boxer or a karate mm. person, and. I think that what is interesting, there's a parallel here because karate was more mysterious. Mm. There were, we, we kind of thought, oh, there was some hidden secret to, uh, you know, that unlocking the human body that, you know, there's, that you could kill a person. It's, it's almost magic, if you will. And boxing was, oh gosh, that came from Europe and, you know, whatever. Mm. But, but the boxer, trains and trains and trains and trains. He trains uh, as close to competition as, as as possible. So he's really in there fighting and building the muscle memory that, that is that uh, that would work towards competition or a fight. Um, we have to be mindful of not building muscle memory in ways that would be destructive uh, on the street. Uh, okay. And I think, again, um, yeah, so that's that's something we have to be mindful of. Yeah. So what are some of your takeaways right now as you're training, you know, in multiple locations, different schools, what are your takeaways in terms of the learning process and what you're being taught? So first I I would say at, at 57 years old, my biggest takeaway. And I would say this to anyone who is either an ex-wrestler or an ex-athlete thinking about uh, the takeaway is just what this does for me, uh, just in in my psyche Mm. of getting back to something that you're good at. There's a lot of, you know, life is interesting and it's not always pleasant. And, you know, we, we tend to get into our routines with our careers. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm having a, a nice career, uh, but, you know, we want to do things that set us apart. And this is just such a right turn from being an accountant. <laughs> um, you know, so my biggest takeaway is that I'm there, mm. that I get to do that. I get to go in, in my job. You know, I'm paid to be smart. Yeah, that's that's kind of the job. Um, OK, so then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this and you know, I'm probably not the best accountant. I think I'm pretty good, but, or finance guy, but, you know, I'm not the best grappler, but how many finance guys are grapplers? Um, and, and that's it. So I would say to anyone out there who's, you know, in your forties or fifties or, or whatever, uh, the takeaways get out there mm. and find a school that's dedicated to a, not hurting you. You're not going to get thrown in there with a white belt. Who's going to injure you immediately. Um, so it, it, again, I didn't quite answer your question. Um, my biggest takeaway was just the privilege of being out there. Mm. Um, but technique-wise, again, I think wonderful folks down south. Uh, if you're a woman and you're interested in this, I couldn't recommend that place highly enough. I mean, just no ego, and you're out there to work. Very professional. Um, your school, I get. I'm allowed to be a wrestler. Uh, I, and I'm immediately learning things that will apply. Uh, the other thing, and this is a nuance, it's a difference between catch and jujitsu, just stylistically. Uh, I, I think they do wind up in the same place, but uh, like hard style, soft style, martial arts. But but the catch wrestling, you're going to you put the person into a hole that is uncomfortable for the other person. 
uh, and through a very small series of minor tweaks, you are you are able to exert your will over the person in, in a very humbling way. Mm-hmm. And again, that resonates with me. Like wrestling, what's it's hard to describe wrestling pressure, uh, but I've done it to people and I've had it done to me, and it isn't fun to be a victim of it. Um, you put it, it just withering pressure on a person, yeah. Khabib style, and That's right. and your your art works very nicely. Hand it goes hand in hand with that. And of course, you also have the other thing you are is very controlled, um, and you teach control. So the level of pain you exact upon somebody is the exact amount of pain that you're intending. It's not more. It's not less. And I would imagine if you're on the street and you've got somebody that you need to do this to, you're going to be able to choose exactly what you do to them. Yeah. And and it, that speaks volumes for how effective it is and and how useful it would be. Yeah, we we see that also just in in tournaments and competition, um, because. You you have people that are like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. That's mean or that's unsportsmanlike, this and that and the other thing. I'm like, look, nobody's spitting in your face. Nobody's poking you in the eye. Nobody's grabbing your balls. Okay? Nobody's biting you. Okay? So at the end of the day, if you have an issue with submitting and tapping to pain, pick pick a different sport. Pick a different thing to do. Right? Martial arts is probably not for you. Submission grappling is probably not for you, right? You can't, I, I really don't like how watered down things have gotten now to the point of them trying to selectively decide or determine what submission you can do or how you can go about submitting somebody when it's just like, look, there aren't really that many things you can do. You know, everybody makes this so complicated. And I, I was discussing this in class the other night. It was really funny where I said, I said to everybody, guys, there's, I don't teach many submissions because you, it's not necessary because at the end of the day, there's literally three submissions. It's either a leg, an arm, or a neck. And the neck is always king. So stop confusing yourself yep. to think, well, what about XYZ submission or XYZ, blah, blah, blah. It's like, shut up. No, it's fine. You're going to, all you're doing is it's joint manipulation, right? So you're either going to manipulate the joint out of alignment from a leg, right? The arm, which includes the shoulder, because I don't want to say, what about the shoulder? What about this? What about that? Come on. We're talking about limbs. It's either a leg, an arm, or how you disalign the neck or choke. That's it. There's multiple expressions and ways you can tweak a submission, but there's literally three submissions. <laughs> and yes, yeah, you can submit but, to pressure, right? Submitting to pressure is a real thing. Right. We do it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the goal. To me, that's the goal is if I can get people to learn to really submit others with pressure and don't even bother with like ripping an arm or this and that and the other thing, it's even better. That's real dominance. Yeah. Uh- I also think there is a different protocol between uh, the catch and the jiu-jitsu. Uh, the, my experience with the jiu-jitsu is that the, the um, submissions come on slowly, at least in class. 
uh, in catch they come on quickly. But if you watch the high level grappling tournaments, you watch how quickly uh, the guy, the, the opponent taps um, because they know uh, they're, they're looking for when this guy gets in this position, he's going to, it's going to take him two seconds to snap. And when the guy gets into that position, that's when the tap is. And I, and when you develop that mindset and realize, in fact, you were demonstrating something with me, we were, we were rolling and, and I knew the minute that I turned my back, I had a a quarter of a second to tap uh, because you were going to put my head into a, something that wasn't going to be good, (laughs) Uh, but I knew, you know, and, and, you know, you you have a way of applying a rear naked choke that, uh, that isn't taught in in jujitsu and it's, and it's it's devastating and severe and very very quickly applied, but I knew so. I mean, I I could I can be as safe as I want to be, and I knew once you got in that position, up oh, there's some tap. It, there it was. Yeah, and that's where really you have to. This is where we have to continue to really eliminate the ego mania that you see at a lot of places, and understand when to concede. There's nothing wrong with conceding. A position right. because you're already in checkmate. The example that I love to use is that whatever it was a year or two ago, Gordon Ryan versus Nicky Rod at the ADCC. Okay. He had a leg lock set up and Nicky Rod was still standing. What did he do? He tapped. The leg lock wasn't applied. He didn't need to. He already knew it was checkmate. Right. That was the smart thing to do because his, his, his leg wasn't torn to pieces. Why? He's like, okay, right. at that point, the match, match was over. It's over. It's checkmate. He knew that the way he had it done, the way Gordon Ryan had it done positionally, and the way he had it set up and everything locked in, there's no turning back. So we have to be conscious of that. Know when it's no turning back because you get these people all the time. And when we had, uh, I don't remember who it was on the podcast before, but we've, I've talked about this before. When people are saying, well, how do I escape XYZ submission? At the end of the day, if the submission's done right, you're not escaping. It's called tap. Yeah. You know, and Jay Pages, my old, uh, my good friend and uh, one of my old instructors did this to me one time and it embarrassed the hell out of me. Um, because what happened was, I don't even remember what it was. This was so many years ago. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was doing something where I was just ripping people apart. Like everybody was tapping, mm. right? And it got to the point where in the school, it kind of became legendary where it's just like, oh my God, don't let him get you here because it's going to be horrible. Nobody can escape from this thing. And I was just like, dude, nobody can escape. I go, if I get this in, whatever it was, I'm like, it's not happy. You're done. He's like, I guarantee right. you. He's like, I have the escape for it. He's like, 100%, I guarantee you I have the escape for it. I'm like, bullshit. So we're going, I set it up, I'm getting ready. Before I do anything, he just taps. Yeah. He's like, I told you you I was getting out. I'm like, you piece of shit. He's just like, he's like, stop being so arrogant. He just told me just straight up. He's like, stop being so arrogant. Oh, wow. Always get out. Just tap. Just know when to tap. I was like, oh. And that was so humbling for me because it didn't matter I was looking at it. I was just like, oh, I've got this thing, whatever, whatever stupid thing it was where I'm just ripping people apart. And he was just like, 
He knew what the setup was. He knew it was coming. He tapped ahead of time. And he's just like, you got to stop your nonsense. But that, yeah, that's a sign of intelligence. Yeah, of course. He's a brilliant guy. I, just, I love Jay to death. Um, that is a sign of intelligence. But then it gets down to how much intelligence do we really have these days in the grappling community? You know? Mm. And that's that we will table that topic because I want to okay. really explore. You and I are going to explore, you know, what is grappling intelligence? You know, we have IQ, EQ. What about GQ? And I'm not talking about gentlemen's quarterly, but you know, what is your grappling intelligence? And it doesn't have to do with your encyclopedia of moves, but no, it does not. Do you know when it's just like, it's probably not the best for my longevity to continue. Right. Uh, like yeah. I should just tap. I tap all the time. Why is, I don't understand why there's so many black belts that are so afraid to tap to lower belts. I tap all the time because the shit I'm teaching is legit. You know, I want it to work. I want what I teach you to work because I want you to get me. Work. Right. I want you to get not just me. I want you to get other people with it. That's the whole point of why I'm teaching it. Cause I want it to work. <laughs> I don't want to be the yeah. only capable of doing it, but that is a fundamental flaw within jujitsu community. They only want their stuff to work on like lower belts or somebody else, but they never want it to work on them or they don't want it to work on a higher belt. I'm like why? So the, it's ineffective. That does require some emotional intelligence. Of course. Uh, it, you know, when a, when a black belt is rolling with a white belt, or a blue belt or a lower belt, that that's a teaching moment. Yeah, of course. And yeah. Uh, one of the profound things that I, I saw on Instagram was a woman's post. She was uh, rolling with one of the black belt guys and he was letting her do stuff. And he said, thank you for letting me work. Uh, most guys, uh, you know, that she grapples against, they're trying to win. Mm. And in my mind, what can you possibly gain from winning? Oh, congratulations. You, you beat a girl. Uh, or or and if you're trying to win and you lose, I mean, that's even worse. Well, why not let your training partner uh, work uh, work the move that they're trying to work? Yeah. Uh, when I'm rolling, uh, I, I there's a period of time where I'm letting the, the person try to do what, what we were trying to do. It's, it's not, and I think more of the intelligent grapplers uh, understand it's a training session uh in which it, it's a give and take uh but i'm not trying to collect a, a bunch of high fives it, you know to myself at the end oh look i tapped three guys um no i again fortunate uh place down south uh the head instructor i grappled with him and uh yeah i tapped him uh and the reason i tapped him was he let me uh i'll tell you that right away but you know he's a gentleman and you know he was it, I worked the move that he was showing and, you know, at one point he was giving me advice, cinch it down, don't give up. Uh, and that's, that's the type of person you want teaching the class. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine it might be horribly humiliating if a black belt had to tap, if, if the whole thing is designed or defined by, yeah, if a bunch of eighth graders are watching, Oh, the guy tapped I and mean, it's silly. It's an instructional session. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, to me, it's just, I, I want everybody 
that trains with me to be as good as they can be. You know, I want to develop their level to the point. Oh, that's clear. You know, it's just like, I want it to work. And if it's not working, let's fix it so that it works. Right. That's, that's important. How do we fix it? So it works. And I need to feel it. This is why, you know, a lot of times I'm like, okay, here, do it to me. Let me feel what you're doing. Because to me, it's all about feeling. I need to feel things. I can't just look at something. I want to feel it. If I'm demonstrating it, I like to give the students an opportunity to feel what it's like. That's why I pass everybody around. Okay, here you go. Come here. Let me show you what it feels like. You know, and then, okay, let me see you do it. Okay, let me see if you got the right feeling, if the sensation is right. Um, Because, look, we can learn moves till the cows come home, right? You're going to forget them all. That I can guarantee you. You're going to forget them all. 99% you're going to forget the moves. But what you're not going to forget is the pressure and pain that somebody puts you in when something's done correct. That's never going to go away. You're going to be like, I remember this. Therefore, yeah. when somebody else is doing it to you, if it's not right, you're like, no, that wasn't right. You know, it's just like, because I don't have to be, and I, I've said this before over on different episodes. I don't have to be the best competitor in the world. I don't have to be the best guy in the world to be an outstanding coach, you know, and a teacher mm-hmm. and a mentor and, a, you know, a friend on the mat and a guide. I look at my, my job is like guidance. It's guidance. Yeah. And, and really to help others. That's my service. That's my Dharma. So to speak, it's just like, I'm trying to serve others by uplifting them. I'm not trying to serve others by suppressing them or oppressing them. I'm trying to uplift. Right. In fact, you know, I've continued to process your original question. What, what was my takeaway of going yeah. to both places? If, you're a jujitsu practitioner who is thinking about competing and you want to, you want to find a way to win. I would highly recommend going to your class because uh-huh. what, well, well, because what you're training is outside of the normal quote unquote playbook yeah. within a jitsu sport jujitsu. Yeah. You're coming at them at different angles that they're not used to. You're trying to stand up like a wrestler. You're trying to stand up. You're not. Here's a classic example: is uh, uh, the jujitsu player will try to push you in his guard. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as a catch wrestler, that's not your goal. You're trying to stand up and get the, you know, get it on your feet. So a catch wrestler will have a natural advantage against the jujitsu player in competition for that reason. Mm-hmm. A catch wrestler can avoid the submissions. Uh, but they're going to be coming at the jiu-jitsu player in a way that the jiu-jitsu player isn't used to playing. And a, a catch wrestler will be looking at a, the jiu-jitsu player will have a look of surprise uh, and, and disappointment. Uh, it, it's, yeah, I couldn't recommend it more, um, it, more highly. Uh, if you're looking to get an edge in your Brazilian jiu-jitsu catch in, in fact, I believe that all the catch moves will eventually get absorbed into because videos are out there and, you know, the great, uh, the great um, experiment uh, is, is on unfolding in front of us and we are watching the sports evolve, sure. but it's going to be years, I think, before it's fully absorbed and you could get that stuff right now just by going to a catch class. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that 
Um, cause two things, number one, if you're doing leg locks, you're doing catch wrestling because leg locks was mm-hmm. not a part of jujitsu. Um, right. And you know, the leg locks that were learned in judo came from catch the leg locks. Even Sambo admits the leg locks that they apply come from catch wrestling. So if you're doing leg locks, you're doing catch wrestling or you're adding a piece of catch wrestling, you know, and I'm not saying, okay, this, this style is better than this style. I'm not going into all that, but we have to acknowledge where there's uh, what you were saying that like an integration, there's a technical integration and piggybacking on top of that. You had recently sent me a video, uh, YouTube of ADCC and wrestling. You know, when ADCC first came out, you had the wrestlers get invited, this jiu-jitsu guys get invited, judo guys get invited. They don't do that anymore. Now they just have like the ADCC trials and whoever's like the winner gets to go. But we do see what was integrated and absorbed. You know, you have leg lock integration. That's catch. You have a lot like double leg takedowns. Okay, that's freestyle folk style. You'll see some which comes from catch. Yeah, which ultimately comes from catch, right? But you know, we we have people doing underhook and overhook throws. That's Greco and judo, right? So we see the integration in terms of how this, like what you would consider right now, the most prestigious submission grappling tournament in the world is ADCC. Okay, great. I would love for them to change the rules a little bit. But as it is, we just have to accept and just kind of go along with it. And hopefully, hopefully they make adjustments over time if there's enough people um, looking to do that. But we see this development and how important it is um, for the evolution of submission grappling. And I would love for there to be a day where we just look at it all as submission grappling. Like, okay, okay, catch, jujitsu, this and that and the other thing. I was having a, 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 a loose debate with a friend about a month ago. And he's just like, there's nobody in catch that's good. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's just like, <clears throat> well, all the top people, they represent Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools. Like, they can call the school whatever they want. doesn't mean the techniques that they're not using aren't influenced from somewhere else. So I think it's like it's a really arrogant way to look at it and just be like, look, submission grappling should evolve in terms of is it fight ready, yes or no? What is your ability in submission grappling? And then just accept that it's a melting pot of techniques and mm-hmm. ideas and philosophies and rule sets. Become a complete grappler. That's how I look at it. How, and we'll table this for another podcast episode. How do you become a complete grappler? Right? There, there's elements yes. that are not, um, that people don't focus on. You know, how to become a complete grappler. And it's not whether or not you can bear and bolo. Whether or not you bear and bolo doesn't make you a complete grappler. It's not going to enhance your game, the bear spinning right. underneath. Because at the end of the day, like I said, all I have to do is punch you in the face and you're not going to bear and bolo again. You know, it's really that simple. You know, so this is just my thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I, I think it, this is a fun time to do this. Uh, it really is. And, and again, uh, I have all the respect in the world for the jiu-jitsu community. Uh, nothing, nothing bad to say. They're just they're different styles. And, and um, uh, I think ultimately it's in our nature to uh, try to compare. Uh, I was in reading some of the history of catch. It turned out that, you know, in 1904, uh, maybe I'll get the date wrong, 1899, they, one style of catch was big. So I'm going to mispronounce the name Lancashire. Lancashire. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, but that wasn't, it wasn't until uh, a few years later that it hit London because London was practicing a different type of catch wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, so even then they're pointing at each other saying ours is better. You know, it's just a very basic human nature to want to do that. Um, and again, uh, I, I think that what I love about the catch is that, uh, again, I'm allowed to be a wrestler. I'm standing up. Takedowns are uh, one of the very core fundamentals of, of the art. Uh, and, it, it, and you emphasize things that would be extremely surprising uh, and unexpected uh, if, if when, when a catch person goes in and, and wrestles a, a jiu-jitsu tournament, uh, they're going to do well. Uh, they'll match up very favorably. And I, so on that basis, I would highly recommend uh, even uh, those who are happy with their schools uh, to give you a, a, a try and to get exposure, begin getting exposure to, to this because uh, it, it's absolutely a valid and deserves to be in the conversation of, of, of how to win at these tournaments. Yeah, I agree with you. It, you know, learning uh, the aspects of even how to pin somebody you know, and, and how to really control any pinning position, not just for the sake of winning the pin, but how does it function as a form of positional domination? Why is a pin so important? And I know we've had an episode mm -hmm. before on that, on the importance of the pin and the value of the pin. Um, but really integrating that in terms of a person's grappling, it's just like, it can't be underemphasized in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, the other thing, um, and again, subtle, but me being 57, I'll, I'll bring this up again. If if there's a grappler out there thinking that they've got an expiration date on their participation, uh, it's another uh, kudos to you and your school. You've, you've, you've kept me safe and uh, have embraced uh, getting my body back into a condition where it can endure this uh, sort of activity, yeah. uh, I would say that you have to be extremely careful what schools you go to. Um, and that even though uh, chronologically, historically, we'd be past our prime or, or un, unsuitable for this, that's no longer the case. Uh, one could attend your school and work your way, work their way back into to the type of condition. This is cutting edge stuff, and we're at a you know obviously we're an advanced civilization now, and we're we're pushing boundaries that were impossible before. Yeah. Um, if somebody was out there thinking, "Gosh, I wish I could have done this," well, get out there, uh, as you said, just get out here. Just come. We'll find a way to make it work. We will make yeah. it work. It's really the hardest thing is stepping on the mat. That is the hardest part. If you step on the mat, I'll take care of the rest. All I need you to do is step on the mat and keep stepping on the mat. If you can do those yeah. two things, you will succeed. That's how easy it is. And, and I know 
people who are much more accomplished wrestlers who aren't on the mat anymore. And they really should be. They should be. Because if it resonates for me as an average wrestler, uh, these guys were great wrestlers and God, they'd have so much fun uh, just getting back at this. Yeah. And I think that you, your format is, is a tool for them to do that yeah. where they can safely do that and, and get their body ready to go. Yeah. That's I can't tell you how, how that's a life changing feeling to, to do that. Anyway. Love it. Well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, this is, this has been wonderful. I know you got still got more stuff to do today. Um, yes. but this has been well, great. Thank you. So guys, thank you all for participating and listening. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with me and Tony and you'll be hearing a lot more from Tony as he uh, gets his footing into the podcast world. And I'll give him homework assignments to have more, lots of questions. And he's going to be doing lots of research. He has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I weep for the future. Yes. And uh, we got, like I, I've hinted uh, prior, we've got a lot of famous, exciting guests lined up. I'm not saying any names right now. But somebody I've been in email communication back and forth, all of your minds will be blown when I get this person on. And you're going to be like, what? How is this possible? But somebody really, really big and an amazing legend of legends is going to be coming on. And it's not, I can tell you this, it's not who you think. And when you find out and when this person comes on, you're all going to thank me. Okay, so be on the lookout. It's coming soon. We've got a lot of interesting people that are lined up. Um, it's just, again, like I've said before in the past, it's like herding cats. So organizing schedules, because a lot of these people are very busy. Organizing the schedules to get them on uh, can be a bit of a, a, a challenge. But the feedback that we've gotten and the enthusiasm from very unique guests that want to come on and participate is like truly amazing and humbling. And it makes me very, very happy. So with that, uh, we'll kick this out and we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.